Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. This week, we are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is the spiritual disciplines. And this is our second year of running the Discipleship Training Week, and we are pumped. It's our first year of offering the content from the DTW uh, on our podcast, and we hope that it's encouraging for you. We hope that it helps to equip you uh, to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's so easy to come to an event like this and be about I better get something from this and this better be, you know, exactly what I need in this time. One of the best things that we can do um, is to pray for somebody else and just pray that this would be a time that they encounter Jesus. This would be a time that they grow in their understanding, their revelation and their application of what it is to to be a son, to be a daughter of the Most High. Um, So we're just going to take a moment um, to to pray for one another. Um, And we're going to do this Um, simply by staying where you are. Feel free to sit, feel free to stand, Um, but you can close your eyes if that's helpful Um, and just the different different people, you know, whose names you you know, feel free to to sort of look around and and pray for people. Um, But I'm going to pray out loud. If you want to pray silently, that's fine. If you want to pray out loud, um, then you're more than welcome to do that. So, Maybe a different approach to prayer than what you've experienced before, but just a chance to, to bless others. Uh, if you don't know um, someone's name, um, yeah, Lord, bless them with understanding of you today. Bless them with understanding of who they are because of what you've done. Just simple prayers um, can be incredibly powerful. Um, so let's just take a couple of minutes to pray for others that are in the room. Father, we just want to thank you that you are here with us by your Spirit. We want to thank you that there are things that we don't know yet. And there are things that we will uh, come to understand over the course of this week. Because you are good, because you are gracious, because you have uh, things to tell us. I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that we would have hearts that are open and ready to receive. And that we would be eager to apply the things that you're speaking to us. Lord, would you have your way in us. May this today be a day that we receive your fresh daily bread. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah and amen. So right next door is McLaren Vale Primary School, where I've had the privilege of working for the last few years. And um, last year I had this two worlds colliding type moment. So um, three of my kids go to the school there and last year there was one of them that I was teaching on a regular basis. So I taught Charlotte every Thursday um, in my science lessons. Uh, I've had had her for a double lesson. And there's one particular day, uh, she came in, um, she wasn't feeling very well. Um, and so she let me know about that. And so I sent her to the front office, you know, filled out the appropriate slip and sent her off. Um, then, you know, continue on with the class as you do. And then the phone rings. Happens a fair bit. Phone rings, pick up the phone um, and saying, actually, Shane, would you mind coming to get Charlotte uh, and then take her home? And I realised that I've just switched from being her teacher to once again being her dad. Uh, Christy was home. 
Uh, but we had the little little one, Eden, who was asleep, and so Christy couldn't leave her to come down and get Charlotte. Um, so me, the teacher, having sent her to the front office uh, in need of first aid, then went, after being released by uh, the deputy principal who came and took the class, I went and picked up Charlotte, signed her out from the front office, uh, and delivered her home to Christy. Um, definitely a two worlds colliding type moment. Um, but as a teacher, a uh, classic teacher move is to set up what's my job and what's your job. Uh, just to be clear on expectations and responsibilities and that sort of thing. And I just want you to take a moment now, a lot of you are ready with um, notepads, um, just to consider when it comes to what's our job in life and what's God's job. And with this one, so we're not delineating between what the Father does, what the Son does, what the Spirit does. Um, we're saying, what does God do, the Godhead, and what do we do? So what are the things that come to mind? We're just going to have um, a minute or two for you to have a bit of a think about that on your own, and there'll be a chance to share with someone next to you in just a moment. So uh, there's a slide for that one, Beth. Um, what's your job and what's God's job when it comes to life and faith and everything? Off you go, have a think. So just as you're ready, you can start sharing with the person next to you what are some of the things that have come to mind when you're delineating between what's God's job and what's your job. So this is one that we'll come back to in a, in a little bit. But just wanted to get you start thinking about this. It's, a, it's an interesting one. And we're looking at spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are not the ultimate goal. You know, we don't have spiritual disciplines so that we become awesome at spiritual disciplines. And it's helpful for us um, to be working out what's our responsibility and what's God's responsibility, and how do spiritual disciplines help us with our responsibility um, so that God is freed up to be able to pour what he wants to pour into our lives. We're going to have a look um, at a couple of uh, different scriptures now. Um, the first one we might just do as a bit of a recount. So John chapter 13, very famous passage of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Can anyone summarize the interaction between Jesus and Peter? Boris. All right, go for it. particular interaction, if we were to take that as a bit of a type for us, what is God's job and what's our job?
Definitely. Yep. Once we have received it, then we are actually able to pass it on. Um, but in this particular interaction, he does get to that later. Um, so as I have washed your feet, you know, you should do the same. He does get to that. But in that particular interaction between him and Peter, the resistance from Peter is like, no, you will never wash my feet. He's really firm and really harsh with Jesus because it's such a lowly task. And it really confronts him. But he wanted to clean him. He simply wanted to cleanse him. And there's a a broader application to this. He cleanses us and we let him cleanse us. Like our job is simply to allow him to cleanse us. If we look at another one, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, this is part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. What's our job according to that verse? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what's God's job? To fill us. We hunger and thirst and he fills us. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. This is um, a little bit similar to my experience in the classroom where I was the teacher but also the the dad and it was two worlds colliding. We have a moment here in Ephesians 5.27 where Jesus just hogs all the different roles. Can someone read it out for us please? Ephesians chapter 5 So who is the one that's doing the presenting? It's Jesus. So Jesus presents, and then who is Jesus presenting the church to? Himself. Himself. So he's the one that's getting the church ready in order for him to receive the church. And there's a really, really important concept in this, and it's one that we'll get to in just a moment. Psalm 24, verse 4. We see a bit of what's God's responsibility and what's our responsibility. And this is one that I've uh, looked at over the last, I think, 12 or 13 years now. Uh, Psalm 24 has been a significant one for me. Uh, Psalm 24 starts off uh, by declaring who God is and what belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So you have that as a a baseline. Everything belongs to God. And then this question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? So who's the one that can actually approach him and live in intimacy with him? And then this is the response that we get to that in verse 4. So it's the one who has what? Who has clean hands 
and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. And the thing that just hit me in the last couple of days with this one is the contrast between the first two things that are mentioned there and then the third and the fourth. So the one who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. And the first two, the clean hands and the pure heart, if you have clean hands, it means that you are not doing the wrong thing. You're doing the right thing. If you have a pure heart, it means not only you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it with the right motives. That's a pretty challenging combination to be doing the right thing and doing it with the right motives. It's actually impossible. It is impossible for us to be always doing the right thing and always having the right motives. However, whose job is it to cleanse us? It's not our job to cleanse ourselves. It is his job to cleanse us. He's the only one that can actually purify us in that way. So it's his gift. It's God's responsibility to cleanse us. And he cleanses us from the inside out. It's not this surface level thing. We're not trying to put on a show. Um, Nick preached last night just around how important it is to be honest. We have to be honest before the Lord. We have to be honest before each other. If we're struggling with stuff and nobody else knows about it, it's not God's responsibility to tell somebody else that you're struggling in an area. There's definitely times that God will give a word of knowledge to somebody else, but it's your responsibility in whatever areas you're finding difficult, where you succumb to temptation, it's your responsibility to be open and honest and accountable. It doesn't mean you have to get up the front every Sunday in front of your whole congregation and tell them everything that you've done wrong. There may be times that's appropriate, but it's definitely your responsibility to be open and honest with some people. It's a really important one. We need to be open and honest and vulnerable. That is our responsibility. It's his responsibility to cleanse us. And then we get to the last part of this verse. He does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. So the, the CSB, which are the Bibles that we've got here, um, phrase it slightly different. Do not appeal to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. If you appeal to what is false, that's the NIV where it says, do not lift up your soul to an idol. It's saying, do not put your trust in anything else. An idol is something that you're placing in God's rightful position. Do not put your trust in anything. And one of the most common ones is money. And Jesus hits that up. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. 
It doesn't work. You cannot put your trust in that. And it's so easy for us to be dependent upon peripheral things, external things, to be okay. One really small thing that I did this morning um, to push back on an area that I find some dependency upon is I had a cold shower. It's so easy for us to be like, I'm fine as long as I have a nice warm shower, as long as I've got money in the bank, as long as I've had my coffee, as long as I've got a full stomach. You know, we have this list of things and we're okay as long as those things are true. It's easy for us to put trust in that when our trust needs to be in Him. And those things are blessings. Having a nice warm shower, that's a blessing. But I don't want to be dependent upon the blessings in order to be okay. I don't need to go around and boast about all the things that I've denied myself of because that's setting up spiritual disciplines as being the goal. The spiritual disciplines are simply an avenue that help us to get to the goal, which is intimacy with him, which is us actually looking more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. Spiritual disciplines are important. My guess is, for each one of us, we have moments where we have been so aware of God's pursuit of us. And some of those probably came when he wasn't even on our radar. Just something happened and he caught us off guard. We're like, oh my goodness, how good is God? And that will continue to happen. There will continue to be moments in your life where you are surprised by joy. You are surprised by his grace and his goodness toward you. It will continue to happen. However, breakthrough, sustained breakthrough, will happen more regularly if we discipline ourselves. Spiritual disciplines are an avenue towards a more consistent life where we're gaining victory over different things so that those things don't become an idol, don't become a master for us. So we're not trying to cleanse ourselves. We're not trying to get the clean hands and the pure heart by our own actions. We allow him to cleanse us. It's a bit like how you don't clean yourself in order to have a shower. It's ridiculous. You have the shower to cleanse you. You are not equipped to cleanse yourself. We go to Jesus and he cleanses us. We don't have to clean ourselves up so that we are acceptable to him. We simply go to him. This is the beauty of repentance. Often we think about repentance as turning from your sin. And that's an accurate statement, but it's not the complete picture. Because if you repent from your sin of lust and you're simply turning from that sin, it would be easy for you to turn to the sin of pride that I don't struggle with lust anymore. You turn from your sin, it's who you're turning to that is the most critical part of it. You turn to Jesus. 
Your dependence is upon him. We repent to Jesus. Who we repent to is the most important thing, even more important than what we're repenting from. To is more significant than from. Does anyone know what the very last statement of First John is? Oh, come on. <laughs> Christy Rayner. Love it. Keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it stands out because it's usually its own paragraph. So you've got everything else and then there's one line that's sort of tapped on the end of First John chapter 5. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What's our job? <laughs> That's one part of our job, is to keep ourselves from idols. His job is to cleanse us. Our job is to not look to anything else to cleanse us. To not look to anything else to get our sense of value and worth. To get our peace, our comfort. Anything else. Because that becomes an idol when we become dependent upon it or we look to it as an ultimate thing. So our job is essentially to be hungry for him. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are blessed. And what idols so often do is they take away our hunger. Maybe we're not hungry for the things of God because we're so full of the things of the world. Like, how can we have an appetite for Him? If you think about that in a very practical, um, practical sense with food, like you have whatever your favourite dish is, if that is served up to you after you have just gorged yourself on junk. It's not an attractive proposition, even though it's your favourite food and it's right there. But your appetite has been messed up because you've engaged in and eaten other stuff. Our appetite for God, our desire for Him, is going to be diminished if we're just binge-watching stuff all the time. If we're so consumed by work, if we're so consumed by different things in our lives then there's not that room to have hunger for him. It's not his job to pump our stomach. It's our job to be hungry for him. Because he'll fill us. He will fill us. But we need to create that space by not going after other stuff. And this is where spiritual disciplines have so much benefit because we are training ourselves for something. I coach my daughter's under-17 um, footy team and we practice stuff so that it becomes just second nature. We want automaticity. We want it to be so natural so that in a game, they're so much better at kicking, at marking, at tackling, at shepherding. We don't want to have to be thinking about it. And one of the things that we're talking about a lot is talking and how unnatural that can be at training to be like constantly jabbering and tell everyone, you know, you want the ball, you know, they've got space, time for them to kick it, all that sort of stuff, so that it's second nature in a game. You want to practice it so that it's second nature. And it's 
like that when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. So we want to live a life that brings him glory. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're just trying to give him what he paid for. We're trying to receive what he has for us. He is talking. He is communicating with you. But if your head is so crowded with other stuff, how can you hear him? If you're so used to having a craving for something, whether it's to watch something, to eat something, to do something, and as soon as you have that craving, you just act on it. If you're so used to doing that and responding to your base desires, how can you suddenly have self-control? How can that suddenly switch? So you can implement what you know he wants. Like that prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, but yours be done. He asks for the cup to be taken from him. But it becomes clear in that moment that Jesus has a different desire than the Father. He knows what the Father's will is. And what does he choose? He chooses the Father's will over his own. We want to be disciplined people who don't just do what we feel like doing. And so spiritual disciplines are really important in that space. So we don't just succumb to our our desires. We want to hear what he has to say and we want to be able to implement it. And the spiritual disciplines can help us to have that freedom so we can actually see it, we can hear it, and then we can put it into practice. Really, really important. We, um, a friend of mine had, has anyone heard of Brother Yun? There's this uh, Chinese Christian, uh, wrote a book called Heavenly Man. It's like 20 years ago or more. Um, Epic book, incredible, miraculous stuff that happened. Um, yeah, in this man's life. And I'd yeah, recommend it as a, a really helpful read. Um, but a friend of mine was in a, a ministry team with uh, Brother Yun coming out to, to speak. Um, and so my friend goes up to this person. It's after Brother Yun has spoken. Um, and this guy's, you know, in the line waiting to be prayed for. Um, and so my friend comes up to him and goes to pray for him. And he's like, no, I have prepared myself for Brother Yun. <laughs> Communicating very clearly, he did not want my friend to pray for him. It's like, no to Adam. <laughs> I will only be prayed for by Brother Young. Obviously, that's not a particularly good attitude to have. And it's making someone who is simply a servant of the gospel, you're turning that person into Jesus. It is a good thing for all of us to have podcasts and, and different things that we listen to. But they're not Jesus. So we want to keep in perspective that it's helpful to hear from these different people and to receive what God is saying through them, but they're not the ultimate thing. And one thing that I've done a little bit that I want to do more, and I commend it to you as a, a helpful practice If you are listening to a podcast 
and all of a sudden you're feeling hungrier for the things of God and you're like, I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. Pause the podcast. Pick up your Bible and go from a secondary revelation that comes through somebody else and go after the primary revelation for yourself and spend that time praying. Spend that time in the Word and going after it. Our hunger will increase when we are around hungry people. You being here today is a signal that you are hungry or you want to be hungrier. Either way, you've made a really solid choice to push into that space. And whether you are with people physically like this or whether you're watching a video, listening to a podcast, reading a book, if you're exposed to someone who is hungry for the things of the Lord, it will increase your own hunger. So I commend it to you, but don't just get caught becoming um, a consumer in that space and consuming what that person brings because they're actually pointing you to Jesus himself and you want to focus in on that. One of the first weddings I did, it was either the second or the third wedding, um, the couple wanted to be really casual and they managed to talk me into not doing a rehearsal before the actual wedding. I'm never going to do that again <laughs> because you practice what's important. And even if they wanted to uh, have it casual, you can practice stuff so that it's going to be casual. <laughs> it's still going to help. We want our life with the Lord to be spontaneous. We want there to, to be those moments where we have no idea what's coming up. But practicing the presence of God, actually spiritual disciplines are going to help us to practice these really, really important things. I um, practiced the Sabbath last week for the first time in a month. And my story uh, last year was that um, I burnt out. Um, and in, in March was when I started actually implementing the Sabbath. I had a few weeks to start with, um, but then started a new rhythm um, of the Sabbath. And for me, my day was, was Monday. Um, and one of the key things that I did was that I turned off my phone on Sunday night and then I turned it on on Tuesday morning. And so I had a chunk of time where I was just disengaging from that part of the world. And in terms of getting space, in terms of headspace, like how accustomed are we to the notifications? How accustomed are we, you, that little buzz in your pocket or on your wrist or wherever, and you respond to it. And it might not be that you pick it up in that moment, but you're aware, all right? Something's come through, I'll check that in a little bit. I want that with the Lord. I want Him to be the one that's prompting me. I want to be more tuned in to what He's saying and communicating than I am to some device in my pocket. And simple things like that, to say no to something, like my phone, is really powerful. And in terms of the spiritual disciplines, it's saying no to something, but it's saying yes to something else. And so one thing that I'm getting better at is the yes part. I was pretty firm on the no from the start, um, but 
the really proactive, positive yes. So if I'm saying no to the phone, what am I saying yes to for that day? And I'll still do these epic runs and other things that were pushing me in ways that were probably a bit more uh, than I should have been for, for a Sabbath. Um, but it's, it's about um, being clear on both of those sides. What are you saying no to? And what are you saying yes to? I want us just to have a, a look at uh, Revelation chapter 1. I'm just going to pick out one verse in particular. And this goes back to a moment that I had with this man over here, Nick Frisby-Smith, uh, a few years ago now. And I was, I was with a group of people. Uh, and we're looking at Revelation chapter 1. Um, and I just paraphrased a part of it. And Nick very graciously pointed out in front of everybody in that moment, but it was still gracious, um, that I paraphrased it wrong. And it was such a helpful thing for me. And over these past few years, it's been quite a significant revelation. Um, So Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, speaking about who God is, says that he is the God who is and who was and who is to come. When I paraphrase that, I did it in chronological order. So I said, he is the God who was and who is and who is to come. But it says it twice in chapter 1 of Revelation, that he is the God who is. That's strange. The present tense comes first, then it goes to the past tense, and then it goes to the future tense. And for me, it just hit home a bit of the way that my mind was working, where my main focus when it came to the things of the Lord were on what he had already done. He's the one that created everything. He's the one who saved me, redeemed me, the cross. And by the way, the historicity of Jesus is super important. The fact that there was a moment in history where Jesus became flesh. There was a moment in history where um, he was baptised. And those different events that we read about in the scriptures, super important that he died an actual death, that he came back to life. All those things are super important. But my focus was far more about, all right, this has happened in the past and this is what's going to happen in the future. And so my faith lacked much of the present nature that it needed. He has done this. I am going to enjoy that. But it was this realisation that he is first and foremost the God who is. And it's significant that he is the God who is because I am dependent upon many things. As long as I have breath in my lungs... As long as I have food, as long as I'm still a living, as long as I'm still living, as long as my heart is still beating, there's a lot of as long as when it comes to me. But when it comes to God, there are none of those things. He is the God who is. As he said to Moses, I am who I am. He is dependent upon nothing and no one else. He is the preeminent one. We are dependent upon him. He is dependent upon nothing. 
He is the God who is. But it's also that he is in this moment with us. If we go back into the Old Covenant, so looking at the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19, there's this quite powerful passage. It's not Leviticus, sorry, Exodus chapter 19. Uh, Powerful passage. And um, it's God's instructions through Moses to the people of Israel. It's consecrate yourself. Cleanse yourself. There's these rituals they were going to do that day and the next day because the day after they were going to see the Lord manifest himself on the mountain. So his presence was coming. In just two days' time, there was going to be an encounter with the Lord. And so they needed to prepare themselves. And then in uh, Joshua chapter 4, there's this moment, similar kind of a moment, where um, Joshua uh, communicates to the people they need to cleanse themselves, consecrate themselves, because they'll see the wonders of the Lord tomorrow. So today there's something to do, because tomorrow they're going to encounter something amazing. That's pretty good proximity. That's a pretty good turnaround. Do something now in order to receive something and see something really significant the next day or two days later. But it's not how we operate now. We are not here this week preparing ourselves so that hopefully we can encounter Jesus next week. We're not spending 2021 sorting out all the junk from our life so that in 2022 we can have a year of breakthrough and intimacy with the Lord. Just like I was saying when it comes to repentance and we turn to Him, we are here today already with Him. We are here today together to work out what the next steps look like. Shower analogy again. Don't go to the shower. Don't get clean to go to the shower. We don't sort ourselves out in order to be acceptable to Jesus. We actually behold him and then together We're like, what does it look like, Lord, for me to sustain revival in my own heart? What does it look like, Lord, for me to know you better today than I did yesterday, better tomorrow than I do today? What does it look like to be continually going deeper with you, becoming more obedient to what you say? He is the God who is. He is with us right here right now so the spiritual disciplines are not an avenue to finally get to behold him it's a way that we can continually behold him because the only thing that stops us from actually living in that face to face intimate relationship with him is our lack of awareness And the spiritual disciplines can raise that awareness and can push other things to the side 
so that we continue to behold him face to face. He is the God who is and actually changes everything. We have ridiculous access. If you were to look up um, Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19, it's like, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Did you realize that we have confidence to enter the most holy place? If someone was to be an objective viewer of your life, would it look like you knew you had confidence to enter the holy place? If you've got confidence to enter the holy place, it means you know that you're going to be received. It's temple language. It's speaking of the most holy place in the temple. Only one person went there only once a year. Remember the curtain being torn in two? Suddenly, it goes from only one person accessing that once a year to us being the temple. Like, that's a game changer. Suddenly, you are the temple of God. And you have this access. You don't need to go to Jerusalem, to that temple, in order to meet with him face to face. It is simply for us to turn our attention and our affection onto him. And boom. He's already here. The lack is in our hunger or our desire to behold him. So let us firstly understand that we have confidence and then actually act with that confidence. I think for all of us, if we were to consider that question across every area of our life, you know, someone was to look at us, in what way are we different? In what way do we actually use what we have available to us? I'd be confident to say there would be areas for each of us where we, we do look different to the world. We do have things that we've already established that we do in order to receive what he has for us. But I'd also say there'd be areas where actually that part of my life really looks like the rest of the world. And my hope for today, this week, this year, is that we see those things diminish. We see the ways that we've just copied the patterns of this world Push to the side very intentionally as we go after more and more of him. Not so that he will like us or love us. He already does. But so that we can continue to go deeper with him. We can see more people experience the love of God through us because we're actual vessels and conduits through which that can happen. Um, it's an interesting contrast in so many ways to look at Adam versus Jesus. And that's one that my wife, Christy, loves, uh, loves to do. Um, but how's this? Adam was tempted with a full stomach in paradise, yet failed. Jesus was tempted in a fallen world while ravenously hungry, yet succeeded. Adam failed with food, Jesus succeeded without. There's a school of thought 
with Jesus being tempted for 40 days in the desert. Sorry, 40 days after, you know, hadn't eaten for 40 days. And then he's tempted in the desert after that point. Many people say, oh, he was at his weakest point and he still succeeded. But there's a school of thought that he was actually at his strongest. How heightened was he to the things of God? So 40 days in, not succumbing to to the various temptations that he had over those 40 days, not going back to civilization, not spending time with other people, not eating food, and just choosing the Lord time and time again. He was in a position of strength, ready for that. Let's prepare ourselves because temptation is going to come. But let's prepare ourselves for it. I really like this statement and I want it to be true of me. I take drastic measures to ensure my freedom for the glory of God and for the emancipation of others. We don't want to mess around. I remember this Powderfinger song from over 20 years ago. It was called JC, and one of the lines in it was, he's, yeah, Jesus Christ, don't look at me that way. Followers of you now watch TV. And I remember getting a bit offended at the time. I'd be like, what's the problem? Like, watching TV, totally fine. But seriously, if we have access to the throne room, like, we can behold him face to face, We can spend time with the creator of the universe who loves us, who actually bought us. And we're like, nah, I'm just going to sit here in front of this screen and do this for the next few hours. Maybe Powderfinger had a point. (laughs) Maybe we are looking more and more like the world. But if we say no to the things of the world, to say a massive yes to him. It is going to benefit us. It's going to benefit those around us. It's going to benefit the communities that we live in. We want to see his kingdom come. His job is not to make us want him. Our job is to create space. I take drastic measures to ensure my freedom for the glory of God and the emancipation of others. To set them free. So if you emancipate, um, yeah, you're setting somebody free. I was just using different words (laughs) to say the same thing. So that's from my integrated vision statement uh, that I was working on last year. Um, as is a lot of stuff about the God who is. I want to just take a couple of minutes before morning tea uh, to have a look at the Sabbath. So over the course of this week, we're going to have a look at some of the spiritual disciplines. There's heaps. We're going to have a look at some of those. And my hope um, is that not only will you hear stuff that's spoken through the microphone, but you'll also hear from one another. You'll bring your own understanding to it. Um, So much more powerful 
um, when there's good discussion that's happening around the tables, over meals and things like that. So I just encourage you, if there's stuff that you hear from the front and you're like, uh-uh, then like, let's have that discussion, let's have that conversation. You don't need to um, shy away from, from those sort of um, discussions. I really welcome them and invite them. And it's good to wrestle uh, with these things. And I just wanna take a minute to, to discuss the Sabbath. Um, as I said, it's a pretty fresh one for me. Um, I tried it a bit uh, over the course of my life, but it wasn't until I went, I'm just going to do this. And it was necessity for me. It was coming from a place of burnout and I needed something to change. I needed that consistency. And I wish I had have done it way before because um, it has made a huge difference for me. I mentioned that last week was the first time that I'd practiced it for about a month. Um, and like that's a slip up for me. Like That's me not prioritizing it and different excuses and different reasons. Um, but I want to prioritize it even in school holiday time, even in to- you know, times and seasons where it's like, oh, maybe I don't need it now, and I do. I sat down, so my Sabbath usually um, has been a, an actual day, 24 hour day, whereas when I practiced it last week, it was um, one afternoon until the next afternoon. And I had it in my calendar, um, and in the lead up to it, I knew I needed it. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of things that I needed to do um, that I was getting, working my way through, um, but just found myself not particularly effective, not really able to focus in on things in the same way. And the temptation was, um, as the time was drawing nigh, was to go, actually, I haven't done as much work as I needed to. I have to get these things done. And so I'm going to delay my Sabbath or shorten my Sabbath or skip my Sabbath. But I'm so glad that I didn't. The difference the next day when I sat down at my computer and just smashed out a whole bunch of things was huge. Like the clarity that I had after having that period of time where my phone wasn't at me, where I wasn't inundated with the messages from the world, and I was much more attuned to what God was saying, much freer in myself. And one of the things that's, that's in our psyche, and it doesn't always do it, but one of the things that's in our psyche here in Australia and quite broadly in the West is we can only rest when we've finished the job. You work first and then you rest. But if you have a look back to the beginning of time, the creation story, you see that things are very different from that. So we have God who made everything. What day did he rest? On the seventh day. So how many days had he worked? He had six days. That's a pretty big week, let's be honest. Pretty big week. And then he has his day of rest on the seventh day. Where do we fit in that timeline? On what day were we created? The sixth day. So what was happening on our first full day, the seventh day? Rest. Who was it that earned the rest? Who got to enjoy it? 
Yeah. We got to enjoy it with him, which makes it even better. His work frees us up to rest. And as with creation, so with salvation. Who has done the work so that we are saved? Yeah. Again, it is God who has done the work. So with creation, we, get, we got to start with rest. With salvation, we start with rest. And the most important thing is that we receive. We rest and receive. We are the guest. We're not the host to get everything organized and sorting it out. We are the guest who sits down, reclines, and gets to receive. There will be work that we do, but first and foremost, we rest. Rested with creation, we rest with salvation. You even see it in the pattern of the days of creation. So for us, the day starts in the morning. So the first thing we do is we get up, we get ready for work, and then we work. After we work, then we rest. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1? There was, what comes first? Evening. There was evening. There was morning the first day. There was evening. There was morning the second day. The Jewish day still starts with the evening meal and sundown. So sunset is the start of the Jewish day. You get to eat. You get to rest. You get to sleep. That's the starting point of the Jewish day. Then you work. You don't work so you can rest. Our rest is not dependent upon our work. Our rest is dependent upon His work. And we have to be receivers. Some of us are wired so that we're givers, we're doers. And it's a challenge to start by receiving. Others are wired differently and it's a bit easier. And there's other challenges. But if you're a doer, it's one to push back on. I start with rest. And so with the Sabbath, that's a day. That's a whole day that you could be ticking a whole heap of boxes. But it's choosing to say no. I Start with rest. I receive from him and I realign my focus so that I get to behold him, get to know him. I've pointed this out a few times and some of you have heard me say this before, but um, has anyone noticed the shift in the Barocca advertising? So what's Barocca for? Who, who is the target market for Barocca users? People with hangovers. So you have Barocca because you've had this big night. They started an advertising campaign sometime in the last few years where they address that really head on. So you have someone that's taking Barocca at the start of the day and his workmate's like, oh, big night. And he's like, uh-uh, can anyone complete this one for me? Big day. So their Barocca was not recovering but preparing. Hmm, interesting shift. For us, 
Our rest is going to help us recover from what has happened. But we want to be people who are preparing for what is coming more than recovering from what has happened. And we actually start with rest because it reminds us that it's not about us. And that those columns that we had up before, God's job, my job, if we were to fill that out properly, which I would be keen to do at some stage, there is so much in God's column. There's so much that he's taken care of already. And as we start our day with rest, as we start our week with rest, then we are just remembering those things. He's the one that's done it. He's got it covered. We are anchored in him and we're starting from that place of rest. Not trying to earn something. We rest. It's a discipline to rest. It's a really important discipline. I'm going to pray and then I've got a few questions that will pop up on the screen and just have a couple of minutes to reflect a little bit. Um, so today um, we've got morning tea coming up at half past and then Christy's going to um, be doing the next session and then lunch following from that. Then there'll be a bit of personal reflection time. Then we'll have some small groups. And so there'll be a chance to discuss this further, but it's, it's helpful just in the moment um, straight away to be able to reflect a little bit more. So similar to those questions that we asked earlier, they are optional. If they're helpful, go with it. If there's stuff that's in your mind already, then feel free to uh, just, just go with that. So would you join with me? Uh, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you give us rest. I want to thank you that you created us and then you gave us rest as our first gift, like first full day, a day of rest. Lord, help us to understand more fully who you are and what you've done and what that means for us, that we wouldn't be trying to accomplish things that you've already done, but we would simply say thank you and receive those as the gifts that they are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to see more clearly the things that are distractions, the things that are destructive in our lives, that would stop us from engaging with you more fully and we would be ruthless in our elimination of them. I pray that we would be freer and freer people who live beholding you, live loving others and seeing others coming to your kingdom. Lord, would you bring things to our remembrance now as we have this time to sit and reflect. Would it be for your glory and for our good? Hallelujah. Amen.